You are listening to the KPMG Insurance Insights 360 podcast. I'm your host, Sierra Nicholson. It's a pleasure to welcome to the studio Denno Fisher, a principal in the KPMG advisory practice. Welcome, Denno. Hello. We've been hearing a lot over the last couple of days here at the conference about customer experience and the impact that customer experience is having on the industry as a driver, as a growth engine. You have some pretty interesting perspectives, though, about how we're viewing customer experience and how we should be viewing it. Can you talk more about that? Sure. First off, let me um, sort of um, set the stage for customer experience, right? Customer experience is not this one magic thing. It's not this one concept. Um, You know, every company has a logo, but that doesn't apply to customer experiences as simply as I have a logo, I have customer, or I have a tagline, I have a jingle. Um, Customer experience is made out of the perception that the customer has of the grand total of the sum total of all interactions that that customer has with a company. Those could be interactions with the brand, with the product, with the service, call center or agent, uh, with communication, with any anything that the customer experiences. So any interaction is a part of the experience and ultimately it's the sum total of that set of interactions that makes up the experience. So when we think about experience, we actually never think of this one thing. We think of the result of many, many interactions. So we like to look at the interactions and what we do at each interaction to then achieve the desired experience. So you say that every interaction should be intentional. Intentionality is a very hot word right now. Um, So can you tell us what does it mean when you say that? So when we say every interaction should be intentional, it's actually the experience that you want to deliver at the interaction, that should be intentional. You, should, you don't want to leave that to chance, right? And the reason is because the sum total makes up the customer experience. There are some um, business models that will lead at the same interaction to different experiences or should have different experiences. Um, let me give you an example. So, so say um, I'm targeting a segment that wants to get it done fast, you know, uh, it's a hassle, I, I don't want to deal with it. Maybe I'm paying more or not, but I just want to get it done, say getting a quote. There might be a different segment that sort of wants to be the responsible head of household and, you know, read the fi- pr- fine print and find the right coverage and find the right product. Um, two very different attitudes on the customer side. So I as the carrier should be very intentional if I target customer A I should give something that is save me time, save me money. Um, if I'm targeting customer B, I should be much more hands-on, explaining educational material. Both will provide a quote. Both will provide a premium. Um, but the intention of how I provide it should be very, very different depending on my business model and depending on my strategy. Um, every business model should include your target audience. Nobody should target everybody. Um, so I should have an experience at every step of my journey, at every step in the value chain, at every interaction, I should have an experience that's, in- that's intentional and follows my strategy vis-a-vis the segments that I target. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It, it sounds like you're saying no two customers are created alike, right? We, we're all coming from a different place. We all have different needs. That, that's, that's correct. There, there, it's, it's no two segments are alike. That's why they're different segments. 
But then also you have different interactions, different types of interactions. There are those that really matter. Let's call those relevant interactions. Um, those are the ones where the customer really wants to spend more time, sees value in spending more time. And then there are interactions that the customer sees as less important. They're still necessary, but they're less important. From a customer's perspective, let's call them inconsequential or irrelevant. Um, let me give you an example for the latter. My favorite example for the latter is password reset. Nobody wants to, spend, wants to spend time with password reset, yet it is a necessary interaction. If I forget my password, I have to reset my password. I don't want a white glove service. I don't want you to call me. I don't want, me, I, I don't want you to engage me in some kind of dialogue. I just want it done. So make that, the intention of that one should be make it simple, make it easy, make it go away, make it as painless as possible. Now imagine um, a glass claim. If I know how to submit a claim on a glass claim on my auto policy, I still may want that to be fairly simple because you know it's a chip on the windscreen, nobody got hurt, I just want to get it fixed, let's get that done. But go to the other extreme, say you have a life policy, $5 million, and I have a first notice of loss. So I got to call you now and tell you that my spouse, my parent, my uncle, somebody died. It may not be my policy. I may not know what's going on. It's a lot of money. And I'm in distress. I just lost someone. So I don't think I want to download an app right. and get it done that way. I think I want you to talk to me. And I want you to say to me, hey, we're with you. So sorry for your loss. Maybe you're sending me flowers, maybe you're sending me a card, but you certainly are going to tell me that you're doing this on my time. You know, if I'm not ready today, don't worry, you're not going to lose your claim. You've got, you know, forever to claim it. We'll put it on the money market account, the money, um, the death benefit. Well, we'll pay it out to you, you know, or we pay part now and the rest later. But you're not making it more complicated for me. There's much more empathy in it. Um, that, that example would be an example of a relevant interaction, right? An interaction where I really care, where I really want to spend time with you so that I feel better and there's more empathy to my situation. So yes, segments are different, but also interactions are different. And that's why we believe if companies are intentional about what experience they want to deliver at each interaction based on what that segment sees in that interaction in terms of value, that's when you're creating holistically the customer experience that becomes a brand extension. You touched on something there that I want to explore a little bit further. Uh, we had your colleague Evan Metter in yes. here who's focused on HR transformation. And um, one of the skills and capabilities he mentioned that uh, are ne is necessary for creating this meaningful customer experience is empathy, which yes. you just touched on as well. And, um, you know, I think we we kind of juxtapose that um, against themes like automation, right? But are they necessarily mutually exclusive? Not if you're looking at an enterprise level. Um, so when Evan talks about empathy, you know, if, if go, let's go back to the first notice of loss on the, life, on the life policy. You know, we want call center reps who understand that and who can be, you know, um, uh, considerate in their in in how they speak and how fast, you know. If you if you measure those call center reps on number of calls completed or duration of call, that would be the wrong the wrong incentive. 
Um, now, empathy is going to be important when it comes to these, what I earlier called relevant interactions. But if you think about password reset, that's where automation comes in, right? That's where the empathy has no place there. <laughs> right. I mean, if you wanted to be empathetic, it's like... Right, that, we all know it's frustrating. Exa exactly, so <laughs> let's right. just get it done, right? So, so empathy is not always long and understanding and patient. Empathy at times can also be um, something that says, I understand you want to get this done. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what I like uh, outside of this industry, right, what I like if when you call some of the travel companies like airlines, there are some calls center reps who fully understand when you're stranded, you're stranded. And there's no banter, there's no you know, large, uh, large discussions or explaining why this is, no, they, they know you want to get on your next flight. Um, so understanding that urgency, that that's part of being empathetic to the situation of the customer as well. That, so what Evan talks about typically is that we need a sensitivity with our employees that, that, uh, that leads to understanding the situation of the customer. Um, allows them to, to turn, to target what they say, how they say it, in such a way that it is relevant for that customer in that particular situation, for that particular interaction. Automation is a tool. Employees talking directly is a second tool. But it goes back to what's the intention, right? What's your business model? What do you want to deliver to the target market that, you, that you're addressing? And you also talked about this concept of the six pillars of customer experience, yes. which touches on this and other things. And I, I love the way you framed that because I think it helps people understand there are some things that need to be foundationally right yeah. before you can move up that uh, ladder. Can you talk more about that? Sure, absolutely. Um, so every year we publish a customer experience excellence report. Um, and over the year, and over the years, with all the research we're doing, we've got uh, some two million data points now. Um, we, we look at the responses we get, and we cluster the responses, and and we found that there are six particular pillars that are very meaningful to achieve customer experience excellence. Um, companies that uh, resonate with customers based on the customers' expectations. Um, so these are not all white glove companies, um, but it's when there's a match, there's a meeting of expectation and experience delivered. Um, and these pillars seem to operate similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, the first hierarchy, the first needs have to be satisfied first before you get to the following ones. The foundational pillar that we see is integrity. And what we mean when we say integrity is um, you know, be honest, say how long it's going to take, say what's possible. While the call center rep may be able to get off the call by saying, hey, we'll get back to you in three days, if the call center rep knows that's going to take six weeks, mm. while on the call when the customer puts the phone down, the customer says, oh yeah, it's going to be resolved in three days, awesome. The damage that's caused by then taking six weeks is greater than the pleasure or the satisfaction that was created on that call. Um, if something can't be fixed, just say it can't be fixed. If something takes six weeks, say it's going to take six weeks. Um, if uh, there's a certain condition in a certain, uh, just something that doesn't work, just be honest. Just th that we find is a foundational thing because then at least um, we're talking, you know, we're, we're talking with respect to each other. Um, it also relates to pricing, for example, right? So everybody's always asking, where, how do I do the re renewal premium that uh, didn't have the discounts of the, say, first year or something? You just be honest about it. Say it up front. Here's your renewal. 
here's the new premium. By the way, you had a $50 discount last year because you signed up for paperless or it was your first year discount. You don't have that this year anymore. That delivery of integrity resonates a lot with customers. The, hey, here's your renewal and sort of, it only shows low enough. I don't remember what my premium was last year. That hiding causes anxiety and causes distrust. So the second one then is resolution. Second pillar of resolution is how do I solve problems? You know, you call in, you complain. Um, am I going to be all defensive? Am I going to be all, yeah, I know, customer's right, which isn't always the right thing to do either. But resolution then is the, is the second pillar. The third pillar is managing and meeting expectations. There are a subset of expectations out there that are almost universal. Um, and the question is, how do you actually address those? Um, those are not the specific personal expectations. We'll come to those, to those later. But there's sort of a base layer of expectations. The fourth pillar going up from the bottom then is time and effort. Um, are you making it easy? Are you making it simple? In fact, the much better word is intuitive. Are you making it intuitive? With that, I don't mean full automation. It's just for what you want to do, the interaction, the experience you want to deliver at any given point, is it easy or could it be easier, in which case you should improve. But it doesn't mean all self-serve, all, all um, automated. The fifth one is personalization. So what do you know about me? What do you know about the history? And to what degree do you bring that in? Um, you know me, so you should take advantage of that. And the sixth one, which is where you then really get the customer experience excellence is empathy. Um, to what degree do you actually make me feel good, make me feel understood? To what degree can I trust, truly trust you and think that you're, you know, you're on my side? A lot of companies sort of jump into personalization. A lot of companies want sort of the, the, the value of the empathy layer, but they don't have integrity right or they don't have time and effort right. And so they're spinning, they're spinning in circles and don't get anywhere because the foundation isn't, isn't there. And we see that very clearly in the research. So Denno, if we think about these six pillars and what it really takes to advance all the way to the top of that ladder, um, that can be a lot of investment. Is the end goal really you know, putting everything you have into customer experience to make sure you're creating the most amazing experience possible for everyone at all times? Uh, that's, that's an excellent question. So the answer is no. Um, at, at least let me give you the answer now. Um, <laughs> so we did, we did additional research and we, we looked into um, if, if your target segment has a certain expectation, you know, how costly is it to under-deliver against that expectation? But then we also looked at how costly is it to over-deliver against that expectation. A lot of the hype that's out there today is like is, is all about meet and exceed customer expectations. And, and we never really like the exceed part. You know, meet and and exceed in you know in, in measure maybe, but this this holistic exceed we always found troubling. Because if if you can get it for eight why pay nine, right? And we're still in, in, a, in, in a world in which we're trying to make money. Um, so looking, looking at that research, it's shown that, you know, if, if you're, of course, lose business if you underperform, if you underdeliver, you actually also are losing economic value if you overdeliver. Um, part of that is because 
at every interaction you're over delivering. So it's not just this one thing that you do for one customer it, because it becomes a policy, it becomes a culture thing. You're doing it for all customers and that's a constant expense for the business. Um, but not only is it an expense for the business today, you're starting to spoil your customers. And every time you spoil your customers, you change their expectation. Because now that becomes their expectation. So if I thought, you know, at a five, that would be enough and I'd be happy, but you're constantly giving me a seven, I'm not starting to expect a seven. So it's very difficult to dial back from that when you realize that you're spoiling your customers. So we always say be as close as possible to the customer's expectation, both from a bottom-up and a top-down perspective, so that you will grow and change with the expectation, but you're not the driver of changing the expectation. Because that is a very expensive exercise. Got it. Spare the rod, spoil the customer, huh? Exactly. <laughs> So we've, we're talking a lot about the future in these sessions, and I want you to think about the future of the insurance industry conference that KPMG puts on. If you're back here in three years talking about customer experience, what kind of themes are you covering? Oh, I, I think in three years we will cover, um, I think, something that's much more holistic, uh, at least in the customer space. I believe the insurance industry's proposition is going to change. Right. A lot of people are, are talking about prevention rather than protection. Um, if we're talking about prevention, we're much more um, visible in day-to-day in -day life. Uh, and, and you know whether that's sensors or whether that's wearables or whether that's education. Um, so I think we're going to talk much more holistically about interacting with the customer. If you, if you think of life policy today, for example, you know, I might buy it today and if it's a whole life policy, until I die, I may not ever look at it again, and then some beneficiary might look at it, right? Think about password reset on that one. Um, but if we're, if we're moving from that extreme to, say, prevention at the home, so, you know, it's an, an insurance Alexa, it's an insurance Siri, it's an insurance Cortana um, attached to my heating system and my, my windows and to my AC and to my electricity and you know, just measuring everything and protecting everything in the connected home, um, so it's much more integrated, and, and, and that leads to a totally different platform and a totally different relationship. It leads to a, an hourly relationship, you know, when today in some of the products we have a relationship that's today and then again in 30 years. Um, so I think we're going to talk about that in three years. Um, I, I also think that there's going to be um, a whole host of new risk pools. Mm. You know, we know about cyber, we know about um, identity theft. Um, but with all of these always on uh, devices, there's going to be new risk pools that today they're sort of latent and maybe emerging, but we're not really sure what they are. Um, but to give you, you know, an example that goes beyond sort of some of the obvious ones, um, we're all familiar with city bikes and, and the scooters, whatever, whatever they're called. Well, we all know that a cab should have an insurance policy. And we all know that you know you shouldn't get into the car with anyone who just offers you a ride at the airport because they may not be insured. And companies like Lyft and Uber provide insurance policies for their self-employed drivers. There is no insurance for City Bike or the scooter. City Bike doesn't offer it, so it's not 
city bike insurers the use of that thing. So if I'm riding a bike and I hit you, it's not city bike's liability, but it kind of is mine. But it is not part of, it's not my bike, so it's not part of my homeowner's insurance. Mm -hmm. There is a liability every time somebody rides a bike in New York City or takes one of these scooters out in San Francisco, that sort of kind of is a risk pool that sort of kind of nobody's covering. So, you know, three years from now, we'll have many more of these new emerging risk pools, um, whether it's city bikes and scooters, yeah. whether it's a connected home, whether it's uh, other things like identity theft. Yeah, that's a really interesting concept. I'm imagining now like 50 cent policies for an hour on a scooter, yep. right? Denno, it was such a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for sharing your insights, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much for Thank having you. me. Thank you. You have been listening to the KPMG Insurance Insights 360 podcast. For more insights, visit listen.kpmg.us slash insurance insights 360.